to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 27th of November 2016, entitled Essentials for a Fruitful Witness, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Alright, I invite you this evening to stand to honor the reading of God's Holy Word as we take our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, thank you this evening that we have this wonderful time to come together around your word again this evening And Lord, even here, we don't need the wisdom of man. We don't need enticing words. But Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts or that you would speak the words that need to be spoken this evening through thy unworthy servant and help us, Lord, to grasp, to understand, to respond to what you have for us. And we will give you the praise and honor for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. For those that were not with us this morning, we began looking in the book of Joshua this morning at the thought that the Lord will do wonders. The Lord will do wonders. Of course, you know, God is God. And so many times we just get so accustomed to going through our religious duties that we forget that He is the God of the universe that he is a wonder-working God, that he can do that that is impossible with man because nothing is impossible with him. But in order to see God do wonders in our lives and in our church, even in these times when I know that churches are supposed to be in decline and we know that the world, that, that sinfulness is on the increase and all these things that we could look at, but we said we can look at all the obstacles just as the children of Israel did when they looked across into the promised land and Ten of them saw the giants, but two of them saw God and God's promise. And of course, as we look at these things today, we can either see the obstacles or we can see the opportunity. We saw this morning that two of the things that uh, if we're going to see the Lord do wonders amongst us, then we saw that we're going to, first of all, have to have His instructions, not ours but we're looking for divine directions, not the directions of man, not the programs of man, but divine directions. And of course, there's only one place that we can look for the directions of God. But then it's one thing to know what God wants of us, but it's another to follow those things. And so not only divine direction, but for decisive obedience, we must obey God. And we're going to be looking at some other things over the next few months. But I said we were going to be looking this evening at this thought of essentials for a fruitful witness. You know, there's a real danger in life a lot of times when that something is there and we hear it or we see it. 
It's like someone mentioned to me here a while back, well, maybe we ought to because we talked about the fact that sometimes people forget to turn these things off and suddenly we start getting these ringings in the middle of services and things like that. And somebody said, well, maybe we ought to put a little notice beside the doors back there that uh, for people to turn their phones off when they come in. And I said, well, we've had notices back there for the last few years. Uh, they're there, but sometimes you walk past something so many times and you see it so often that you just don't notice it anymore. Um, and it's the same sometimes with the hearing of God's Word, the reading of God's Word, the Bible studies, the listening to the preaching of the Word and all these things that there's some things that are, they become so familiar to us that if we're not careful, they lose their power. They just We just kind of take them for, uh, for granted. And, and hearing all these truths of Scripture over and over again as Christians, even that desire to know God's Word and whatnot, we can, if we're not careful, become dull of hearing because we've heard it so many times and that sometimes it begins to lose its impact. Uh, we hear things. We know that they're true, but, <laughs> but we can come up with all these things as to why that uh, the excuses as to why that we don't need to do anything about that right now. We, in fact, sometimes decide not to obey God's truth because of this or because of that or because of something that we rationalize to ourselves. And it's really a very dangerous position for us as Christians to, to come to. And so what I want to speak to you about this evening is something that, again, I know that it's something that we hear over and over again. But I am totally convinced that most of us as individual Christians, and certainly most of our churches today, have become dull of hearing. We sang that song while ago. We asked the Lord to set our souls afire. I'm afraid that we don't have much passion, many souls that are set afire for those that don't have God's word, for those that are, that are lost in sin, for the millions, as we sing, that are, that are groping in darkness. Where's our passion? Do we lose sight of the real purpose that, that God has us for here? We find, keeping in mind the passage that we just read here, from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and of course the Apostle Paul very clearly telling them how that he had come amongst this, uh, this church here. But if you look just a few pages over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read just a couple of passages, and then I want us to pull some of these things together because, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a passage that we would very seldom go through Easter without reading from this passage in some way. It's often even referred to as, as the resurrection chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says in verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake. Wake up to righteousness, to that which is right, and sin not. Why? For some have not the knowledge of God he said to the church, I speak this to your shame. Church, wake up. Wake up to righteousness and sin not because there are too many out there that do not have the simple message of the gospel that will change their lives. After again reminding us 
of what Jesus Christ did for us when he not only died on the cross and paid the sin atonement for our sins, but when he came out of that grave the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Because of this, the Bible says in verse 58 of chapter 15, therefore, my beloved brethren, if this is the case, because of this, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We find that looking at what Jesus Christ did for us, it ought to cause us to have that desire to be steadfast, to be unmovable, to be always abounding in the work of the Lord, doing that which he has left for us to do. We look back just a few pages in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 6. We find that, again, people are being challenged here at Rome because he says, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Don't we realize and understand that when we become one with Christ, that we're a new creation, that there's a new life for us to walk in, a new way, we're not the same old person. We shouldn't be carrying on the same conversations, going the same places, doing the same things. We could look many places in the Bible, but in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, the Word of God says this beginning in verse 44 now, this is Jesus speaking to them just before that he went back, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you, speaking to his apostles here, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said, look, these are the things that I was talking about, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I told you. God told us all this was coming about. It's written here. It's exactly what I told you was going to be because this is the plan that God had from eternity past. Jesus said, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. You know, even today, we need our understanding opened. We can know the Scriptures. We can hear it just as they had heard this time and time again, even from Jesus speaking it. He opened their understanding, and notice what he said to them. Thus, it is written. <laughs> That's what's written. God prophesied it. God told us exactly what was going to be. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This is what God wrote. This is what God planned. This is the way that God said it was going to happen, and that's why that Jesus Christ came and died and was buried and rose again the third day. That was God's plan. That's why Christ did it. No finish to that sentence. <laughs> There's simply a colon in there, and the thought continues on, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. The first time that I really looked at how that was written, it was quite astonishing. (laughs) God had a plan. He wrote it down for us. He's given it to us in his word that's been preserved for us. We can read it and we can see that Jesus Christ fulfills every prophecy that God ever made about the coming Messiah. It's all fulfilled in him. That's why he came. He died. He was buried. He rose the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. You've heard me say it before. Jesus did the one thing that nobody else could do when he died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He came out of there the third day, but it doesn't make any difference if they don't know it, if they don't hear it. God's plan was that Jesus would come, he would die, he would be buried, he would rise the third day, and that we would continue to preach and proclaim that message throughout the world, that the world can know what Jesus Christ did for them. We find that so many times it's easy for us. We know these things. We hear these things. We've heard them if we've been in a church that has any evangelical leanings whatsoever in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. We've heard them over and over again. And yet, why is it? Why is it that there isn't a greater passion? Why are there so many things in life that we can be so passionate about? And yet the thing that man needs the most. I I said this morning, that so many times I realize and I recognize that it's sometimes easy for us without even realizing it to kind of back away from some of these things because we feel like, well, it's not really going to make a difference. You know, we've said many times that many have told us that we should close the doors here and move somewhere else and take this church into a different location because Most of our neighbors around here don't want anything to do with Christianity. Many think that it's a hopeless cause. There's only one time that things become hopeless. That's when there's no Christ. (laughs) When Jesus Christ is our only hope, and he's the only hope of this community, and that's why God has us here for a reason and a purpose. But it's easy for us a lot of times because we can look around and we can... We can say, well, nobody wants to hear it. You know, sometimes it feels like we can just give out so many tracts, and if, and if I really start talking to people about this, then you know, they're going to think I'm some kind of a weirdo. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to overcome some of those obstacles. It's easy sometimes just to sit back, and I said this this morning, and I'll say it again this evening. You can't do enough for God to get saved. You can't do enough for God to become a better Christian. You can't chalk up enough souls that you've somehow had a part in bringing to the foot of the cross and God love you more. Be a more spiritual person. We don't do what we do because it gives us a better standing with God. You see, God loved you like you are. He loved you with all your weaknesses and all your failings and all your shortcomings. And and if you're anything like me, when I look in the mirror, I have no earthly idea 
why God loved me as much as he did. I have no idea why he chose to save me. I have no idea why he gave me the privilege to stand and preach his word because it's not who I am. It's not what I can do. It's not how I can do it. It's by his grace alone that each and every one of us, we can become so dull of hearing. I wonder if I ask you this evening, and I don't ask this to be mean, how many people have you had a part in bringing to the Lord Jesus Christ? How many people have you personally been able to share the gospel with and see the fruitfulness from that in your life? How many people have you witnessed to this past week and this past month and this past year? I'm not asking you to make that public, but I'm saying it is a question that we ought to ask ourselves. And I think that if we're honest that we all know that we could have done more, but why do we not do more? Sometimes it is out of fear of what others will do and how others will react. Sometimes it's because we've convinced ourselves that nobody wants to hear it and it won't make any difference. Well, I'm going to just give you two simple things this evening that I believe that we find here that are essentials for a fruitful witness. If you're going to be used of God, you see, we find here in our, in our reading as we, where we began in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul came unto them. He says, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He came with the testimony of God. He came with the word of God. He came with what God was testifying to be the truth. We find that I may ask you this evening, what is your testimony? You see, what has God done for you? What has God done in your life? Because every Christian has one. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, I'm saying to you, you have a testimony of God, of what God has done for you, of how God changed your life, of how he forgave you of your sin. You know that. I'm saying that so many times our evaluations can be so deceptive when we start evaluating either ourselves or something else, you know. I don't, I don't say this to be disrespectful, but I've, I've, I've heard some pretty sorry sermons before, and they weren't all sermons that I preached either. I've heard people get up and really just stumble through, and, 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 and you'd, you'd, you'd wonder, you know, if they, if they were nervous or if they were scared or if they knew what they were talking about or whatever, they just stumble through, and sure enough, some poor sinner gets saved. You see, sometimes we think that we have to have polished preachers. Sometimes we think that in order for us to be a witness that somehow we've got to perfect this thing and we've got to, we're a performance, I guess, related society in the fact that we're so used that we have to perform for others to their expectations. Paul is telling us here how he came to the church. And you see, if you're going to have a fruitful witness. The first thing that's important is that you come with the right method. I've read all kinds of methods of how to soul win, but I want to show you God's method here, the method that he used, because he first tells us some things that is the wrong approach. He didn't come with 
excellency of speech. I mean, sometimes we hear people and I mean, man, they have such a gift to be able to just take those words and, and roll them out. Yeah, I didn't come with excellency of speech. I didn't come with, with wisdom, flaunting what great wisdom that, that I had. I didn't come with these enticing words of man's wisdom, being able to talk people into things because that my speech was such a way. The apostle Paul knew that all of the world's wisdom and philosophy even all those things about religious matters. I mean, the Apostle Paul had great education. He had great ability. But the thing is, with all of his ability, with all of his education, with all of that position that he held, that's not the way that he came to these people with any of that. He could have impressed them if he had wanted to. He had the credentials. You know, some today are more worried about impressing somebody because they've done this or they've done that or they've been here or they've done that. We find that Paul didn't come to them with all of his credentials, though that he had plenty. You see, that's the wrong approach, but he's trying to tell them what the right approach is. Back in the Old Testament in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 8 says this, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Am I going to come to the Lord and impress him with all these great sacrifices that I can bring to him and show him how good that I am? He says here, how am I going to do it? He says, except to come justly, loving mercy, walking humbly before the Lord. Notice just a few pages back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66 and verse 2, he says, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Humility doesn't come easy. You see, that's the right method. I'm, I'm not even going to begin to try to judge all the methods, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to be wise about some of the people that you're approaching and how to approach them, but I'm saying all of man's methods can go out the window. The right method to come before God is with humility, not with enticing words, not showing them how that you've got all of the answers and everything else, but to come with humility, to come before God. We find that... In his second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
He says these words down in verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth lives." Paul had plenty of credentials that he could have flaunted before them with his words, but also notice what he said there in verse 3. He said, and as I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We find that, you know, the Lord, the Lord on the one hand, he's showing that he's using the apostle Paul here, fear and trembling well, fear and trembling, the only people that really should have any fear in this world is the ones that don't know Jesus Christ. Fear of personal rejection is nothing more than pride. <laughs> Sometimes our fears is that somebody else may not like us or may not like what we're coming to them with. A certain fear of our inadequacies can be a good thing because we need to trust in the Lord. Too much confidence, which is what many want us to, to have, places limitations on how God can use us sometimes. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God doesn't need us to impress man with how clever we are or how good that we can do it. So many times I've made this statement to you before that it's such a hard, hard thing. When sometimes you stand here and you preach God's word and you're preaching the gospel and you know that there are those sitting there that are listening, that are lost, that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and yet they will not respond. We can feel so inadequate. And I felt that many times, Lord, was there something that I did? Was there something more that I could have said? Was there another verse that I could have given them? Was there something? Because I know that I had that opportunity to share the gospel, and they, they left there lost. We find that... The only thing that God requires of us is to be faithful in giving them Jesus. We can't be responsible for the response that they make to it. Paul says here, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He goes on in verse 4, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. All of our inadequacies can be overcome by the power of God. You see, ask ourselves this question. What is it that we really want to hear from somebody? You see, I could get up here and I could preach a sermon and I could prepare it, and what I could really want to hear is for you to come up and say, wow, you really know your stuff. <laughs> that lost person, to be impressed that you really know your theology because, man, you can throw those big words out there and you can define all of them. I'm not saying that knowing theology is a bad thing. I'm saying that's not what we win the lost with. We don't need to impress them. Do we want them to be impressed with what we know and how clever that we are, that we've got all of this stuff down pat? Or are we willing, as we saw this morning, when Stephen, 
that faithful deacon in the first church, when he began to do wondrous works amongst them, when then we find him being brought before the council, we find him literally being despised and rejected just like his Lord that had gone before him, mocked and laughed at, criticized. You see, sometimes, what is it that we really want to hear? Are we, as too many times is the case, are we more worried about what they'll think of me or are we more concerned of what they're going to do with their souls for eternity? Look, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't mean it in any kind of a negative way whatsoever. But please, take this as I mean it. I could care less whether you like the way I preach tonight or not. I could care less if anything about it impresses anything. I honestly don't care. Now, I'm not setting out to try to, to make you think, boy, that's the worst sermon I ever heard. I'm just saying it doesn't matter to me what you think of me. What matters is what God thinks of it and whether I give you that which God has genuinely laid upon my heart is that which is coming to you, that which God can use to speak to your heart, to change your life, to do something worthwhile with you. That's what it's really all about. You see, if you won't go on for any other reason, <laughs> you know, the real problem so many times, it's, it's not ignorance. It's not a, a case of whether we know the gospel or not. It's not the, the training that we've had one of the biggest problems that we have to overcome is pride, pride. You know, we care so much about what others think about us and what they're going to think about the way that we present this message. Sometimes we got to ask ourselves, who do we really love the most, Jesus or me? Am I more concerned what they think about Jesus or what they think about me? And I'm just saying to you, there's only one method, one method that we can go to this lost world and be fruitful, and that's with humility, just as Paul, not with enticing words, not with all of our fancy speeches and fancy things, but we just need to go through them humbly, in humility, all of these passages point to that one thing. We find that the one other thing that I want to give you this, this evening, not only does it take the right method of humility, but it takes the right message. Notice here, Paul. He didn't come with the excellency of speech. He didn't come with his wisdom. He didn't come doing all these things. He didn't come to them with... Preaching, was, he says, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. But he did tell them in verse 2 what message he came to them with. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. <laughs> this was a man that had all of this theological training. I mean, he knew. He'd been taught the Bible, the Old Testament, he had he'd been taught by some of the best of his day. He could have tried to impress them with all of his theological knowledge, but he didn't come with any of that. 
He came with one message. It wasn't his education. It wasn't philosophy. It was a message of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I remember reading one time the story of a Bible college student that was called a pastor, and he was talking to some of his men that he had sat under there when he was training, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. And he said, well, he said the simplest thing is just to preach Jesus because that's the subject most of them don't know anything about. Preach Jesus. We had a preacher tell us here some, some years ago when he'd gotten involved in his ministry that he spent a lot of his early years of preaching, preaching about Jesus, about Jesus, and all these things about Jesus, until one day he learned he had to quit just talking about Jesus and preach Jesus, preach Jesus. May I say to you, what the world needs is not for you to go out there impressing them with what you know about your theology and all the answers that you have that are just there and they're pat and they can come out. Now, if God's calling you to pastor a church, then he says, yeah, you're not supposed to be a novice. You've got to know something about these. But whether he's called you to pastor a church or not, what we're talking about here is that on the same level that God planned salvation in eternity past, and he told us exactly what he was going to do through the Messiah. And Jesus said, this is why I came. This is what I fulfilled. It was the plan that was laid by God in eternity past. That's why I died. That's why I rose again. That's why that you are to preach repentance and remission of sin throughout all the world. I came. Because that was God's plan. The way that God has planned for it to go on now is that you and I, each and every one of us, are to be his faithful witnesses. Not of all the theological depths, but of Jesus. 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 That's what they need to know. That's who they need to meet. That was the message that the Apostle Paul took to them. Besides all of his education and philosophy, he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else will save them. There's no other hope for mankind. We get lost in it all. We know these things. We hear it over and over and over again. It is the message of the gospel that when it is believed, when it is accepted, when it is applied, it transforms lives. Nothing else will do it. Nothing else will do it. Whether it's the queen, the prime minister, or whether it's the junkie on the street, it's the same message of the gospel that will change their lives. Nothing else May I say to you this evening, forget about all of the techniques of man. There is one method and one method only to go to this world, and that's to forget your philosophies and your education and all of your wisdom and go to them in humility. And there's one message alone that's going to change their lives, and that's the message of Jesus. Church, we lose sight of this. We get caught up in all of these bigger pictures and everything. That's why he's left us here. We can go back and we can read that passage over and over and over again. The only thing that gives man hope 
It's the fact that God did plan their salvation, that God did send his son to die on the cross, and that what Jesus Christ accomplished is the only thing that will save a soul, and that the only way that it's going to change any life is to hear it, to believe it, and to act upon it. And that's why we're here. That's our purpose. That's what it's all about. Forget about impressing anybody. Just share, share Jesus. Two very simple things. I'm telling you that there might be some other things you'll use, but if you take away either one of these, you will never be a fruitful witness for the Lord. Get rid of your pride. Get rid of who you are and what you can do and how you can impress them. Get rid of it all. Trash it. Go to them in humility, knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. God hates pride. God doesn't even want to look on pride. But if you're truly a witness for him, go recognizing as we talked about <laughs> that it's only by grace that he's spoken to any of us. In a spirit of humility, we present the message of Jesus. Paul says here in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you know that I've seen people that their Christian faith was wrecked because that their faith was because of some man that had convinced them. And when that man falled and when that man stumbled, then they stumbled. Paul said, hey, I don't want your faith to be resting in what I've done or how I've done it. I want it to rest in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I'm saying to you that we need to get back to the simple truth, to the simple message, and we've got to unashamedly pray, uh, proclaim it as we've seen here. Can you say this evening, I really love Jesus more than I love me. <laughs> Lord, I don't care what they think of me. I know that there's only one message one message that will ever change a life. I can be as sweet. I can be as nice. I can do all these things and many of the many very good things that you probably ought to be doing anyway. But none of them, none of them will ever bring anyone to Christ except the message of the gospel. Nothing else. I'll give you this in closing this evening. You know, the truth is, is that God loved us so much that he sent his son. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you might have life for eternity. He gave his life that you might live. And he in turn has asked you to give your life not in death on the cross, but he has asked you to give your life in a surrendered life to him, being willing to surrender all, to sacrifice all, and to follow him, a life for a life for a life. I preached a message on that one time here quite a few years ago, a life for a life for a life. Jesus gave his life to give you life. He's asked you to give your life in service that he can give life to others. There's nothing greater we can accomplish. I really, I really don't say this in boasting because I've already said, you know, I've got nothing, nothing 
nothing to offer except Jesus. It's only God's grace. But I came to this conclusion, Brother Dave, many, 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 many years ago, that with all the success and everything that this world could ever give me, when God called me to come to this country of England to preach his gospel, hey, it wasn't because I could do it better than anybody else that was here. It wasn't because that there weren't others that could have done it even better than me. God chose me to do that. And I was convinced of this, and I'm still convinced of it today, that if he sent me here for my whole life, and if it was to keep one person out of hell, it was worth more than all that this world could ever give me. It was worth more than all the jobs. It was worth more than all the big bank accounts. If my puny life is despicable as I am before God, is unworthy as I am before God, if God could take that and even just one person, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We've heard it all of our lives, but we get dull of hearing as Christians. We get dull of hearing in our churches. We want to accomplish all these great things, and we want to impress people. But what they really need is Jesus. They need a passion from our hearts. They don't need you to impress them. They need to know what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's your testimony. That's yours alone. God deals with each one of us individually, personally. That's what he's asked us to go to this world with. Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again. Father, we thank you this evening that, Lord, I know that I can't even begin, as always, to to get across the message that you've given to us in your word. Lord, we're looking here this evening because we know unless we're willing to totally deny your word, unless we're willing to go completely and totally against what you've told us to do, if we're, if we're going to disobey you, but Father, if we're going to walk in obedience in any way, we've got to be witnesses. We've got to proclaim to this world. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's left us here. Help us, Lord, not to lose sight. We want our churches to do all these great things, but Lord, may we do a lot of great things, but not at the cost of the simple message of the gospel that's going to change lives. Help us not to lose our passion. And as individual Christians, please help us, Lord. Our, our days are numbered on this earth. And Lord, there's very few things that we could ever do to accomplish that would make any significant difference. But each one of us can represent you, can be your witness, not because of what we know, not because of our intellect and wisdom, but because of who we know and what he's done to change our lives. Help us, Lord. Help us to be willing Give us that passion for souls. Give us the desire to get the message of the gospel, Lord, to those around us that have no hope without it. Everything Jesus did, he did because it was your plan for the salvation of souls. That's why he came was to seek and to save souls. That's why he's left us here, his church. People in this world have a lot of things to accomplish, but we here, the church, 
that Jesus Christ is building. Our purpose is to carry on his work. Help us, Lord, to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.